Let's pray. Come, Holy Spirit, and fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle within us the fire of your love. And may my words and our hearts together glorify you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, today we conclude this sermon series that I've called Summer Endings. We've explored the idea of, in these last weeks of summer, what will we be doing? Will we be traveling? Will we be going, uh, taking a, a break from things in our own home? Uh, what, what will bring this, this summer to a close? Uh, for many of us, that's already happened. Our kids are back at school. We had our first, first football game on Thursday night. Uh, tough, tough, tough in that kind of heat. Uh, you know, uh, we're back into activities, aren't we, Wade? Harper is already playing lacrosse and cross country. So, uh, you know, we're, we're already kind of back into it, right? Uh, but with the arrival of the Labor Day weekend, uh, we are collectively transitioning from summer into fall. Labor Day weekend tends to mark the beginning of fall, right? And that's next Sunday. And regardless of how hot it is, we're moving into fall. And how do we know? Well, Starbucks has already rolled out its pumpkin-flavored drinks. Man, I tell you, it's fall. But we are also in a time of transitions in our culture and our world, aren't we? Climate change, we're feeling it in these days of August. Political leadership. We will be watching all kinds of transition taking place over the next year and a half. A lot is happening. Or maybe we need a transition. We need a transition that will begin to stop this gun violence. We need a transition that will bring an end to this rabid racism. So we need these transitions. So, uh, and, and, um, and in today's gospel reading, uh, we learn that they're in a transition too, right? I mean, Jesus is taking them on a field trip. You know, field trips, they're just the best thing that can happen in elementary school, aren't they? You know, like all of a sudden you get to go somewhere that's fun and interesting and not just be in class all day. Well, Jesus is taking his disciples on a field trip. His ministry had been, up to this point, centered around the area of Galilee, right? Which is a little north of center uh, in Israel, okay? Jerusalem's in the south. You go north to Galilee, and then north from there to where they wind up at Caesarea Philippi. Um, so they have arrived at the foot of Mount Hermon. And at the foot of Mount Hermon is the largest living spring that comes out of the earth in, in all of Israel. And it's there in that place with uh, fertile fields and the spring that waters it that um, Philip the Tetrarch who was one of the three sons of uh, Herod, uh, 
built a temple to honor Caesar, a beautiful temple that had a big statue of Caesar. And, um, and so he named the place, he rena renamed it Caesarea Philippi. Named it after Caesar, the divine one of Rome, and himself, Philippi. No arrogance there or anything, is there? So it is in the shadow of the empire of Rome that Jesus asks these two critical questions. Who do people say that I am and who do you say that I am? And the disciples are quick to answer the first question. Well, you know, the people say that you, you might be John the Baptist reincarnated or you might be Elijah or you might be Jeremiah or, or any of the prophets. Well, you know, there's some good truth in that. The truth is that Jesus was a prophet, was considered the last in the lineage of the great Hebrew prophets. So they're, they're a little bit on target there. Not that he's um, a reincarnation of any of the previous prophets, but he carries their spirit within him, right? So they, they, they kind of got close. But Jesus is after something more asking, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter rings the bell and gets the ring, right? He says, you're the Messiah, the anointed one, the child of the living God. So they're standing in the shadow of a temple dedicated to the divine one of Rome. But here Peter is saying, you, you are the child of the living God. Now, they can all get in trouble for this. You know, they can get hauled to prison, hauled away to prison, or even executed for these kind of remarks. So is it any wonder at the end of the passage, Jesus says, don't be talking to anybody about this. <laughs> They're going to have to hightail it out of there in order just to be safe. Now, can you imagine how Peter must have felt to have gotten the answer right? Man, you know, poor Peter, he was always opening his mouth and talking and then thinking about it later, you know? And many times he, he had his foot in his mouth, right? But this time he got it right. And you know how that feels when you've done something and somebody affirms you you got, got it right. And Jesus speaks to him about building his church on the rock that is called Peter. But I think there's even more there than that. Because, see, Jesus is asking about his identity, right? But he's asking something even more. He's asking, to some degree about Peter and the other disciples and what is their identity going to be? Who are they going to be? By answering that Jesus is the Messiah, Peter and the disciples are transitioning into a whole different way of being in the world. Because now, in the shadow of the Roman Empire, they are proclaiming their truth. 
and their lives will never again be the same. And so here, not only in the shadow of the Roman Empire, but on the mountain of Hermon, where he will be transfigured later in the story, here where living water flows out into a spring and feeds the earth, here before the last meal, before the prayer in the garden, before the humiliation and arrest, before the flogging, before the cross, here they are transitioning into a new life of being followers, true followers of this, the human one, the child of the living God. And this same story repeats itself throughout the Gospels and repeats itself in the New Testament writings. We hear from the Apostle Paul that they encounter a woman named Lydia in Philippi. Now, do not con confuse Caesarea Philippi with the church at Philippi. Caesarea Philippi is in Israel, in the northernest part. The church of Philippi, where Paul established a church and wrote, letter, wrote a letter there, a very famous letter, is in Greece. So they're two different locations, so don't confuse that. But in that place, they encounter a woman named Lydia. She is a businesswoman who trades in purple claws. This, the city of Thy Thyatira, you pronounce that better than I did, Thyatira, was known for all the dyes that they had and how they colored cloths and things. And she was a person, we don't know if she bought the cloths and brought them to Philippi or if she made them and dyed them herself. We don't know. But what we do know is that Lydia is the head of a household because I assure you that if she were married, it would have been called his house. They would have named him, and they would have called it his house. No, Lydia is the household, householder, and she's a businesswoman. She is also called a worshiper of God, and she is the head of a worshiping community. Are you hearing this? In the New Testament, we get the picture of a woman who is successful in her business, is the head of a household, and is also a leader of a worshiping community made up of women. Now, <laughs> that's pretty good. Well, Thyatira was on a big trade route. That's why they had all the dyes coming in. And that meant that there were a lot of people of a lot of different cultures and backgrounds. So it was a very diverse community. And there's speculation that Lydia was likely a mixed race person because of all the different cultures and people that were there. And it's also speculated that she was a worshiper of God, a faithful worshiper of God, but she probably also incorporated pagan traditions because of the Roman and Greek influences, right? 
But here Paul goes out, and they, he encounters this woman, Lydia, and the scripture says that God opened her heart, and she and her whole household were baptized. Now, we hear that happen in Acts earlier, that Peter baptizes whole households of people, and that's the way it happened. The leader of the household got baptized, so did everybody else. So, after she hears Paul preach and teach, she becomes a follower of Jesus. And then she does this remarkable thing. She invites Paul and his followers to her home. And we get this image of a very, uh, a person committed to hospitality that she had found something new in what Paul had to say. And it was through that encounter that she gets to demonstrate her gifts of hospitality. Yeah, Lydia's successful. But that kind of success wasn't what was important to her. Her identity was being shifted. Her identity of being a worshiper of God was what is important. And the reason we know she's in transition about all of this is because later in Acts, Paul and Silas get uh, are let out of jail. And where do they go? They go to Lydia's home, where they know they'll be welcomed, they'll know they'll be cared for, and, uh, and there, the scripture says, they met with the people and, and Paul encouraged them. Okay, I don't need to tell you this. The truth is we're always in transitions. Life is filled with them. You transition in age. Oh, don't I know that. Stages of life, transitions in relationships, in careers in where we live. And you and I know that these kinds of transitions can be deeply difficult to navigate. And when we're in the midst of transitions, we're no longer in the past. We're not quite yet in the future. We're in what's called that liminal space. And I remind you what Father Richard Rohr has said about liminal space. When you're in that transition, it's the most teachable place you can be. And so, as you look back and you look forward, you have this moment where you can learn in ways that you can't learn otherwise. And, and Father Rohr reminds us, don't rush ahead too fast into the future and don't retreat back to the past. You're going to have to stay in this uncomfortable place for a little bit until you can move. Until you can discern. And the challenge is for us to recognize this teaching moment in the transitions of our lives. We hear a lot of grace in the stories today. We hear about the physics of empire, of domination, of stone statues. It's everywhere, then and now. But Look deeper, Jesus says. It's all built on sand. There's a deeper physics at work here 
a deeper bedrock. And on that rock, Jesus says, I will build my church. On the surface, it might not look like much. Small little congregations peppering the world. You know, Peter didn't look like much either, did he? He's an unremarkable fisherman. He's bold and cowardly. He's insightful and foolish, faithful and unreliable. Boy, that's a resume, isn't it? <laughs> but if you look deeper, he follows. He, he misunderstands and understands. He testifies. He believes and disbelieves. So he's just a hot mess, you know? And through it all, in fits and starts, Peter pursues the love and justice the grace and mercy of God as God created him to be. These portraits of Peter and Lydia are open invitations to all of us to join this movement. And Lord knows we are desperate for this movement today. The grace in this story that you know, is that compared to the great monuments of empire, the church can certainly seem unimpressive. I want to say something. Peter and Lydia were not just navigating transitions. They were being transformed. They were being changed. And we know because, in fact, Peter does become the rock on which the church is built. And Lydia at risk to her own life, welcomes Paul and Silas back into her home. In our current book club, we've been learning about the parables of Jesus, and what we've learned is that they're highly subversive, that Jesus was teaching in ways that helped people better understand this struggle with empire. And with each lesson, we discover that we are called at the end of the lesson to action. We need to keep the liminal space, but we also know that God is calling us at some moment to step out of that liminal space and that action should be part of that calling. Navigating transitions often takes some time, that threshold moment. And being transformed, obviously, from the examples of Peter and Lydia doesn't happen with the wave of a wand or with a lightning bolt from God. Poof! I've been transformed. Yes, I have. Uh, transitioning and transformation are lifelong processes. You see, faith is a pursuit. It's a process of pursuing faith. And on that rock, not the rock of Caesar, but the rock of humble, persistent pursuit, the living rock of faith, Jesus Christ will build the church. And transformation happens when we participate with God in this activity of pursuing faith, faithfully. That's when transformation happens. When we are open, we let our hearts be open as Lydia did to the word of God, 
when we follow faithfully in the way that Jesus calls us and when we let the Holy Spirit guide us into the future. This is good news for us to stay. Thanks be to God. Amen. Amen.